Welcome to Sermons for Critical Faith, a ministry of First Presbyterian Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, where faith is nurtured, curiosity encouraged, diversity welcomed, and all are loved. We believe that the mark of a good sermon is it leaves you thinking about what you heard and perhaps even wrestling with what it means for your life. We hope that you come to this podcast with a desire to grow in faith and understanding. In Luke's version of the Beatitudes, we see how God's blessing upon the poor, the hungry, the mourners, and the hated is not only a promise of hope, but is also a present charge to engage in the redemptive work of God. Let's listen first to the story from the Gospel of Luke, and then a sermon by Dr. Chris Bramer, our Director of Christian Education. In our scripture this morning, we hear the Gospel of Luke's version of the Beatitudes. While similar to the account in Matthew's Gospel, there are some distinct differences, differences that shed an entirely new light or different light on their message for what the blessing means for all of us. May God open our ears and our hearts and our minds to God's word. Let's listen for the word of God for us today from Luke chapter six, verse 17 through 26. He came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for the power came out from him and healed all of them. Then he looked up to his disciples and said, "'Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on your account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for surely your, your reward is great in heaven. For That is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. This morning we are being led in worship by our young people. They have chosen the prayers, the scripture, and the liturgy. The process of getting ready for youth-led service always starts with scripture. At the heart of the service is God's word. From scripture, everything else flows. So when we sat down to start thinking about and planning for today's service, we did just that. We engaged with the scripture through a Bible study of the passage. Now, Normally, these Bible studies are to glean the possible themes of the passage, possible messages that come through, or just finding out how it speaks to us. This time, however, our young people were quick to pick up on a troubling aspect of the passage, one that didn't make much sense to them, 
or me, or anyone if you just read it quickly. Maybe you heard it. They asked, and I paraphrase, why would Jesus tell poor people or hungry people or sad people or hated people that they were blessed? What good comes from being in these positions? How can you be blessed when you don't know when your next meal is going to happen? How can you be blessed when you don't know if you can pay the electric bill or rent? How can you be blessed because you're crying over a lost loved one? How can you be blessed when someone or some group hates you? Pretty good questions, no? What answer would you give? Fortunately, I was somewhat prepared for this, but at the same time, I wasn't prepared enough. I immediately shifted to my memory banks, to what I had previously learned and studied. There was just one problem. When enters my memory banks with Drew were about Matthew's version of the Beatitudes and not Luke's, you know, the one we're actually reading. Now, you might remember that they are fairly similar, and they are. Matthew's account has a few more blessings and woes, but the gist is still the same. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger for righteousness, blessed are the merciful, the peacemakers, the pure in heart, those who are persecuted. But Dr. Sharon Ring in her commentary points out that Matthew's blessings are more akin to spiritual matters. Luke's blessings are address cold, hard realities of this world, of the basic human needs. And this was my mistake. I defaulted to this much more comfortable and less challenging interpretation, ignoring the fact that in Luke's Beatitudes, he is referring to, as Ring says, those who are economically destitute, who claim no power in the prevailing economic system, and who reap no benefit from it. I skipped over our young people's challenging question for an answer that was easier and more comfortable one of addressing a spiritual hunger, that's a good thing, rather than the hunger pangs of not having food. So what is the answer to their question? Why are those who have gotten the short end of the economic stick blessed? Maybe now we'll finally get around to answering that question. The answer, in short, is in the other half of each blessing. In both Matthew and Luke's version, it is the kingdom of heaven. But what do we mean by the kingdom of heaven? Well, it conjures up images of heaven, the eternal afterlife and its pearly gates. It's a place that is to come for us as followers of Jesus Christ, a wonderful thought in which to hang our hope on. But hope in a future kingdom doesn't pay the bills put food on the table, or ease the grief of those who are still living, or stop the hate. So maybe we need to have a different understanding of the kingdom of God. Alan Culpepper, in his commentary, uses the phrase, the reign of God, over the kingdom of God. And if we think about it, the use of the word reign over kingdom invokes a sense of action and work, as opposed to a place where Work has already taken place. He argues that the reign of God is the work of God resulting out of God's love. Because while God's love is with us all, it's especially so with the poor, the hungry, the mourners, and those who are hated. 
The reign of God is the reversal of the status quo. Those who are blessed, not because of the current situation, but because the work of God will be shown in the reversal of their circumstances. The reign of God is not to be some future reward for their lot in life, but the realization that this is the current work in which the people of God are called to engage in now. Culpepper goes on to call this redemptive work. For that work is to redeem all of God's people, to reverse the systems that oppress. Liberation theologian Gustavo Gutierrez says, God has preferential love for the poor, not because they're necessarily better than others, morally or religiously, but because they are poor and living in an inhuman situation that is contrary to God's will. Thus, the redemptive work of God, our work, is work that seeks not to only feed the hungry, but work for a change in a system that even allows people to be hungry in the first place. We are the agents of that redemptive work, and redemptive work is hard. It forces us to not just make sure that a person can get a hot meal at the gathering place, but to work so that the gathering place is not needed. Does anyone think that the resources to make that happen don't exist? They do exist. It can happen. But that means working against structures that have long been in place. And for many, they don't want those to, to go away. They don't want to give up what they have. It's easy to treat a symptom. It's much more difficult to treat the cause. But it is how true change happens. Here are some examples. Marley Dias, who was frustrated that most children's books didn't represent the cultural diversity of herself or her peers. She launched a Twitter campaign called Thousand Black Girl Books. She ended up donating over 9,000 books to help young black girls feel seen and to know that they can make a difference. Sophie Cruz, when she was just five years old, gained national attention when she gave Pope Francis a letter asking him to advocate for undocumented immigrants in the U.S. Like her parents, in her letter she shared, I have a right to live with my parents. I have a right to be happy. Immigrants, just like my dad, feed this country. They deserve to live with dignity. They deserve to live with respect. They deserve an immigration reform. Jazz Jennings, a young LGBTQ advocate, decided from a young age to speak out about her experiences and stand for others like her. She founded the Purple Rainbow Foundation to spread awareness for transgender children and teenagers, as well as to provide support for homeless transgender youth. Ten-year-old Abigail Lupe visited her grandmother in a nursing home. She became aware of the silent struggle that loneliness in, uh, happens in many nursing home residents they face. To support and comfort these residents, she founded the Care Girls organization. Care Girls helps nursing home patients in New Jersey feel loved and less alone by matching them with young volunteers. Now, God's redemptive work can feel immense and overwhelming, but at its heart, it starts with a person wanting to make a difference in answering God's call to be an agent of that work. The blessing comes to us all because in our answering God's call of redemptive work, we see the kingdom of God, God's reign active in the world. God's reign is here, 
and we are the agents of that reign and redemptive work. All the stories I just shared were about regular young people living in their local communities. None of them had the resources or power we would associate with a changing system or a structure. But as you see, they didn't need that to start their redemptive work. They started with what they had, what was available to them, a pen and paper, an idea, a caring heart. They used what they had from there. It grew into something that made a difference. Now, we call this the Holy Spirit at work, beginning with an inspired idea and blossoming into a movement of change, drawing others in to create the change that brings about the kingdom of God. We come and worship God, our heart and spirit renewed and blessed. We leave with a charge to go to work, to be the agents of God's reign and kingdom. So friends, let's get to work. Let's pray. Gracious, loving God, you call us to be your hands and feet in this world. Move in us this day to see the work that needs to be done. Inspire us to find the way in which we engage. Bless the work we take on that the kingdom you, uh, the, that your kingdom desires become reality, not just in the future, but today. This we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can access all of our previous episodes on Anchor or your favorite source for podcasts. Find out more about us at fpclincoln.org or join us on Facebook.